again, podcast listeners. This is the newest educational podcast, the Georgia High School Principals Podcast, a podcast by high school principals, for high school principals, and all educators of Georgia. I'm your host, Jim Finch, and I'm the principal at Mary Persons High School located in Forsyth, Georgia. If you'll remember, the mission and vision of this project is to interview high school principals across our state for the sake of professional learning. Hopefully, you'll be able to receive some valuable knowledge from the some of the best principals in the state. So thanks for listening to the Georgia High School Principals Podcast, a podcast by high school principals for high school principals. It was long a professional learning goal of mine to be able to connect to other high school principals for job-alike duties, and this was a quick and efficient way to be able to talk to high school principals and then to be able to share it out to other high school principals and even aspiring leaders. I also want to make sure that you know that the Georgia High School Principals Podcast can now be found on your favorite music or podcast platforms. We're on Podbean, as that is our hosting service. We're also now on iTunes and Google Podcasts, so feel free to use the preferred format of your choice. And don't forget to like, listen, and share. Today's podcast is Season 1, Episode 4, and today's guest is Mr. Lindsey Allen principal of Buford High School, located in Buford, Georgia, and serves as the high school for their district, the Buford City Schools District. How are you today, Mr. Allen? Doing well, Dr. Finch. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, Just want to go over a couple of things so our listeners can learn a little bit about your background. So if you could, just kind of tell us a little bit about your educational resume and your background to um, your career in in our industry. Uh, Sure. and I taught math, in particular I taught algebra uh, in the Gwinnett County School System. I also worked in Gwinnett County School System as an administrator and a hearing officer for uh, uh, another five years. So I spent 15 years in Gwinnett. I spent one year in Barrow County uh, as an assistant principal of an elementary school. Uh, and then uh, I transitioned to, uh, uh, I was in Bibb County for five years. Uh, where, where Dr. Jones, uh, I started off as a principal there, and then it became the executive officer of secondary schools, where uh, I supervised the uh, 12 uh, secondary schools. That was six middle, six high schools. And uh, just this past year, uh, May 1st, I, just, I was, uh, took the job as the principal of Buford High School. Uh, so I've been here since May 1st and uh, helped uh, our transition into this massive campus we have from the, uh, the, the old high school. Uh, which is now the middle school. So uh, had a, a fast and furious past 100 days, so to speak. Uh, but that's my, uh, that's my background. Well, good. So uh, your current job is, is high school principal there at Buford High School, and uh, so we know how long you've been in your current position. But kind of tell us a little bit about um, how exciting or new or whatever it was for you to go into the uh, state-of-the-art facility that y'all just moved into. and daunting at the same time. Um, uh, this facility is actually three buildings that encompass 400,000 square feet, and uh, the campus itself is, is a little over half a mile uh, just on this campus. Uh, so it was, uh, it's unique because all three buildings function uh, independently of each other, uh, much like your campus at, at Mary Persons. You've got a couple buildings, and they, they function differently. Uh, but we have an arts building uh, that is the Performing Arts, and it's 50,000 square feet. Uh, that's on the uh, north side of the campus, and then we have a uh, academic building which is in the center of the campus, uh, which is three floors and 200,000 square feet, and then we have to the south our athletic building, uh, which is 150,000 square feet. 
uh, on this campus. They've also built uh, two turf fields that are again to the south side of the, of the campus. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of our athletics happens on the middle school campus where Tom Ryden Stadium is and several of the other turf fields and this baseball and softball field. So we're, we're technically spread out over about three to four miles uh, on any given day, given all the activities that we have uh, from starting at, you know, early in the morning at 630 all the way to at night till, you know, 930 or 10. Uh, so it's a it's more like a they like to call it the Buford University and in many ways that's how it feels because we're really covering a large area uh, with uh, with all the activities that go on. It's pretty interesting and now that since you've made uh, the rest of the high school principals and all the podcast listeners jealous, <laughs> we'll we'll move out of that we'll move out of that subject and kind of talk about the why and why is it yeah. that you do what you do. You know, it was interesting. I, I tell people this story. Um, it was my ninth year in education, um, and I, I remember the story like it was yesterday. Uh, I, my principal at the time was Dr. Richard Holland, who I worked with for 15 years. And um, there was a Gwinnett was Gwinnett's always been big about developing people, um, whether it be teacher leaders or inspiring leaders or those who want to move into principalships or even into the district office. Uh, and this was kind of at the beginning of that that time period, uh, but they were looking for, there was this, this it was called the Teachers as Leaders, uh, and Dr. Holland wanted me to uh, to apply for it because he said he saw some leadership in me and wanted me to start thinking about going into leadership, and I, I was like, you know, you know, I was like, Doc, you know, I, I, I like the classroom, I like working with my kids, and, you know, I feel like I have more influence there, and he said something to me that, that, that we asked me a question that really changed my paradigm. He said, so, Lindsay, what I hear you saying is, you want to influence people. And I said, yes, sir. He goes, well, here's what I'll tell you. I, I appreciate you want to influence your kids. He goes, but let me tell you this. If you get into leadership and you become a principal or you become a superintendent or anything like that, he goes, you now have broadened your influence and you have a chance to make a difference. Um, so, you know, when you look at your own personal mission statement, and my personal mission statement says that, you know, I want, help, I want people to be the, help people be the best they can be by influencing their thinking, development, and direction. And that perfectly aligned with my own personal mission statement. So that began my leadership journey, and uh, that's how I ended up here today. Was honestly that conversation at Jones Middle School, uh, now almost you know, 14 years ago, uh, when my principal really pushing me to get into leadership. So that's that's what it's based in. Okay. Uh, have you thought about any career aspirations or what your next steps may be? I mean, I know you just <laughs> took on a. A, a totally, a totally different job. So you might not have had time to really think about that, but you, you've kind of got a big picture uh, perspective too. So uh, kind of tell our listeners where you might be thinking or headed someday. Well, it's interesting. You know, I, I, I have I've spent the last two years at the central office in some ways, and Bib as the executive officer. And you know, um, I, I will say I did I missed the kids, even though I was in all twelve schools quite a bit. Um, it was different because my influence flowed through the principal. Uh, when I had been a principal before, and when you're the principal, the influence is, is a little bit different. Um, so you know, right now, I'm going to enjoy being a high school principal. Uh, I enjoy uh, being at Buford High School. I enjoy the camaraderie with the staff. That was something as it, in the central office. You, you don't really get that. Um, I also enjoy being around students and knowing them, getting their personal lives to help them be the best they can be and knowing what aspirations they have. And unfortunately, in, in the central office, you don't necessarily get that. Um, so right now, it's to be the best high school principal I can be. Um, if 
If other doors open up moving forward, I certainly will uh, consider those. Uh, but right now, uh, my, right now, I really just want to be, become the best high school principal I can be uh, for the students and the staff here at Buford High School. Okay, thank you. Um, how about telling our listeners about uh, your family and any hobbies or special interests that you may have? Sure. Um, I'm, I've been married now for almost 20 years to Karen Allen, who is a, uh, you couldn't ask for a more supportive wife, uh, who, who I, I tell people she's my biggest fan. Um, she uh, allows me to be a, a, I'd say, you know, you can't do this job without uh, your family understanding what it takes to be a high school principal or be an educational leader in, in any ways because you spend so much time away from home. Um, so Karen is fantastic. She, she has a, uh, an education degree from the University of Georgia, uh, but she stayed home with our kids for a long time, and, and she is, uh, was an, an author, and she did some TV work. Um, and, again, just, just you know, I'm very blessed to be married to her. I have three kids, all three. Two of them are here at uh, Buford High School, and two of them were with you, Jim, as you know, uh, at Mary Persons. But Riley is a senior. Uh, Josie is a sophomore here at Buford High School with us, and then Garrison uh, is in his first year of middle school, so he's in sixth grade at Buford Middle. Okay. What about any hobbies? You know, I know not a lot of principals have hobbies and special interests because their job is their hobby and special interests, but do you have any? I know y'all have, uh, you know, you fished and hunted a lot and done some yeah. camping and stuff like that. Yeah, well, it was interesting when we moved up here, and as I sold my boat in my camper because <laughs> you know, high school principals were even having it. Uh, but yes, my hobbies really are. I, I like to work out a good bit, uh, and uh, so working out, and, and if I can get in a boat and fish, I'll do that. And I obviously love to hunt. Um, uh, you know, and other than that, that's that's pretty much about it. Uh, I, I'm a avid sports fan, so I love watching sports. So if that's a hobby, I, I engage in that as well. Okay, for our podcast listeners, I want to remind you again today we have uh, Mr. Lindsey Allen on the um, podcast with us today. He is the principal at Buford High School and Buford City Schools. Uh, his topics of conversation today for um, building level leaders like high school principals is going to be evaluations. That's both teaks and leaks. That's more specific towards uh, Georgia educators. Also, preparations for the tribunal process as he has had to prepare for tribunals on uh, both sides of that process as a hearing officer and as uh, a building level principal. And also uh, his topic, another topic that we're going to try to get into is aspiring leaders. So for our listeners, it's important to note that uh, Lindsay has worked in both large and small districts, um, has been a building level leader at both the middle and high school. Uh, he's also been an assistant principal at elementary school, so he holds a a very unique perspective just from building level leadership, but he also has the unique perspective of having been a central office um, leader serving as the executive officer for secondary schools in Bibb County. And not often do you see a central office leader return to the school building. So, Lindsay, can you kind of open up our conversation today about our topics and kind of speak about how that position in Bibb County um, helped you in your leadership development as a principal? Absolutely. Um, well, it's very rare that principals get to go watch other principals. Uh, so for the past two years, I've spent uh, a lot of time just observing and coaching 12 different principals uh, and also even helping some of the elementary school principals in Bib as well. Uh, so getting to see uh, just different perspectives about how they led their building uh, in some ways, uh, looking at 
what is, what's going well? What could I add to my repertoire? And again, at the time when I left, I never thought I'd be back being a principal. Uh, but that helped out a lot. I also was able to see some of the pitfalls that principals made uh, and how to help them avoid those. So I was able to apply that to my practice. Um, I think it helped me a lot as I came to this facility because um, there were so many things around operations that I had to apply that I actually had learned uh, from some of the people in BIV who had some very difficult situations operationally with how to, uh, to leave their buildings. Um, so I was able to apply many of those you know, my boss was actually Chief of Staff, Keith Simmons, who actually worked with you, Jim. Uh, he helped me a lot with the operational aspects. That was one of his, his uh, uh, you know, one of his fortes. And, you know, he used to always tell us is if, uh, you know, you got to have the conditions for school to happen before it can happen. Uh, and that really helped me as I came here really saying, okay, we've got to make sure that we can create the conditions for school to happen again with this massive campus and, you know, 400,000 square feet of space. And our staff is the size of a 4A staff. Um, we don't have a 7A staff, we have a 4A staff, and how do we cover all that area? Um, so being around all those different people uh, and listening to their perspective and, uh, and really, you know, sponging off of them and applying that to uh, my practice now uh, was very much a blessing, I can tell you. Okay, well, that's a perfect opportunity for us to segue into our first topic, which is uh, evaluations. Uh, just kind of give us your opinion. You, you've worked with Teeks and Leaks. Uh, in several different um, districts now, and um, have you been able to see this this instrument improve our evaluative measures of teachers? Well, this is a tricky topic. Uh, <laughs> I will tell you, I was one of the first schools in the state of Georgia to start off with TEKS back in, I think it was 2000, maybe 11 or 12, I can't even remember when it was. So the instrument itself has certainly improved um, in, in how we, how we uh, use it on the platform. Can I say without a shadow of a doubt that it's helped uh, all teachers improve? I, I really kind of lean on the, the, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation findings that just came out, I think, a year ago that, that showed that, you know, these evaluations do not improve teacher performance. Um, and I, and I, I tend to believe that as well. I will tell you what I've learned does improve teacher performance is creating a coaching cycle with the teacher uh, and, because – if, if you create a coaching cycle in that you're coming in to help them improve and, and take granular steps of improvement, that I have seen work. But when you're coming in to just to evaluate, while I have not seen that necessarily happen because, you know, um, one of my favorite books is Letters Leadership written by Paul Bamrick Santoyo, and he says in, in, on average, on average, a, an administrator is in a teacher's classroom 1% of the year. So think about that, 1% of the year. How can you really effectively push a teacher forward in 1% of the year? It's really hard. So if you take just a, a teacher's on a full uh, evaluation in TEKS, for example, um, so you've got, what, four walkthroughs that are at a minimum 10 minutes apiece, that's 40 minutes, and then you've got two uh, formatives, which is 30 minutes or a little more than 30 minutes. You're still only talking about, what, a little over two, two hours? or right at two hours that you're actually in that room to evaluate. Um, and again, if the purpose of evaluation is to improve, that's obviously not enough time. So what I subscribe to is more of a coaching cycle to help support our teachers. Um, I, I believe you can use the certainly the evaluation to affirm what you see teachers doing well, and that's exactly what I do. Um, I lean on uh, the person who actually helped develop TEKS was uh, Dr. James Strong, and he's written several books. And one book that I lean on that he still is in his third edition is the 
qualities of effective teachers. Uh, and in that book, if you, in the back part of it, it actually he lists out the qualities of what he calls as positive qualities of teachers inside of it, it, the book is actually laid out at, by the ten domains that you see in Teagues. And so I use those to affirm teachers, and also he has in there red flags. So if there's things in there that are areas of growth, I note those, but I try to help the teacher, not just give them the evaluation and say, get better at this. Um, so there's got to be follow-up with the teach. It can't just be to get your documentation done and keep moving. You know, that's not going to That's not. It's be like a football coach saying, hey, you're not tackling well, tackle better. <laughs> well, we wouldn't do that. We would actually set it up so that we'd give them some instruction about how they could tackle better on the field and just tell them they're not tackling well. And I'm afraid that, I, that that's what I'm seeing, I, and I've seen this in, in multiple schools, that Teeth and Leaks has done more as a, or seen more than I gotcha than it is as a tool to help teachers and leaders get better. Okay. Uh, speaking of trying to get teachers to get better, um, what are some ways that, that you've um, used best practices for supporting new teachers during the induction phase and that could be at any level uh you know yeah. obviously specifically high school right now but at any level what are some of the ways that you feel like new teachers are best supported during that induction phase i think there's a couple ways you can do it um what we do here at beaver high school is um every new teacher has multiple people they can go to uh, when you look at think about what teachers really struggle with they struggle sometimes if you look at it, it's really three things in my mind they struggle with discipline or classroom leadership they struggle with all the details and all the things that come along with being a teacher that has nothing to do with them teaching if you know what i mean and then they they also need to learn their content uh, i will tell you that new teachers not, don't necessarily struggle with the content but they struggle with the other two but the other two classroom leadership and dealing with all the other stuff that comes with teaching individually impacting their teaching if they can't manage it. So what I do is I select multiple teachers that are good in those areas that they can go to. Instead of just having a one-to-one -one ratio, it's a three-to-one ratio. But it's specific in that they connect with those people based on those strengths of those folks. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, and also what I do with, with, like with my new teachers. So we have one, we have one of our new teachers, an art teacher. Um, I go through the get better faster model uh, and using that. So in the get better faster, there's the management uh, section and then there's the rigor section. Uh, so when uh, our, our new teacher came through, she actually came in with me and we looked at the management and the rigor and I've, I've got her right here in front of me. So what she actually did is we discussed uh, you know, what are her routines and procedures? We talked about that. We talked about how she wrote an effective lesson plan. We talked about, we, I actually had her model for me what the first few days of school are going to look like, and I would model She actually role-played it with me in my office. So she role-played the strong voice. She role-played what she was going to say to the students, how she was going to greet the students. And then we talked about how she was going to, what, what kind of, uh, I believe, you know, you need to keep it simple. So what were going to be her expectations that she could say over and over again in a very simple way uh, that she would continue to articulate that because in the absence of information, kids just make it up. Be clear about what it is that you want students to be able to, uh, to do when they come in. What are your expectations? And so that's how I helped her start off is that role playing with her. And then I actually went in, not as an evaluator, but to watch what she did. And then we had a follow-up conversation after what, what happened so that I could help give her some other, say, hey, you did really well with this. Here's where I'd like you to push forward in this.
And so it was, again, more that coaching cycle. Also, when I go in sometimes, like, for example, she's working on a, a strategy called um, – uh, that's that, that, a anticipation guide because one of the areas we noted in her work was that she was just getting giving lectures. So she's got the independent practice down. She's got the, the, the classroom leadership down. But what she needs to do now is to bring in more of that engagement piece of the, on the rigor side of the Get Better Faster model. And so she's doing the anticipation guide. I noted that she wasn't necessarily able to quite grasp it. So I walk, I go up and, and then I start doing it. She and I had this conversation. If I walk up and start doing it, I'm just modeling it for her with the students. So it's really more of a, a partnership with she and I to help her get better. Uh, it's the conversation before, the, the observation during, and the follow-up conversation afterwards about what we can get better at and how to push her forward. Uh, but that's how I work with new teachers to help them not only stay in education, but be successful in education. Sounds good. That's a very good response and uh, some very good techniques for any existing principals or, or even aspiring leaders or even some teachers that, that may listen to this podcast. Uh, that's some very good insight for induction-level um, teachers. Just want to remind our podcast listeners, again, we have Mr. Lindsey Allen uh, on our podcast today. He's a principal at Buford High School. And just want to remind all of our listeners that you are in an authentic setting Lindsay is in his office, I'm in mine, so you may actually hear the announcements come over. You may actually hear the tone for the bell to change classes. So uh, we, don't, we don't operate this in a studio, and we're not in a, a vacuum or anything. We want people to understand this is real live leadership, uh, and it's on Wednesday. And uh, this is a time where uh, school still continues to, to go forward. But we're very grateful that Lindsay's with us today. And we're actually going to transition into another topic that we have for him today. And that is tribunals. And I uh, just want to remind listeners that uh, Mr. Allen has been on both sides as having served as a hearing officer in uh, Gwinnett. As such a large district, they employ their assistant principals as, as tribunal hearing officers there. And so he has kind of sat as a judge jury and such that's in that process and he's also had to prepare for tribunals as a as a building level principal so what are some of the best practices uh that you've used to kind of avoid the pitfalls in the tribunal process and when i talk about that just for our listeners just kind of talk about you know code of conduct charge letters subpoenas witness prep tribunals with attorneys that are present and so forth so just kind of give us a little bit of your background in that and, and just kind of give us some best best practices for tribunal prep. Okay. Um, I would say the first one, that I know it sounds so trivial, um, but as a hearing officer, uh, I can tell you many times when you bring kids to hearings, their stories change. Uh, they're a little different than when they communicated it to you, you know, nine to ten days before. Uh, so one thing I always tell aspiring leaders or principals, anybody who's prepping for one, Make sure that when the incident happens that you have a student who writes, the, have the person write the statement, not just the student, but also any adult who actually observed the incident. They need to write a statement as well because that will help you if, if, the, the, if, the, if the information at the hearing changes, you're able to actually introduce that into evidence. So you don't necessarily have to introduce it into evidence. You can ask the questions. But I've had multiple times where, unfortunately, assistant principals we're relying on their the, the student they're bringing, who's the you know the defendant there, to come in and, and say what they need to say, and they don't say it uh, uh, to help match the charge. And because they didn't have a, a statement to submit, they 
time of the, the attraction, that they were found not guilty or that they were found that they did not violate that rule. So, number one, get everybody to write a statement. Uh, I cannot tell you enough. But make sure they sign it and make sure they put the date on it. It is important that you have that piece of evidence. Make sure you bring that evidence to your evidentiary hearing. Don't assume that even your teacher is going to say it right. I have seen where teachers have come in and they get flustered in that process and they don't, they don't necessarily say what they, they said they saw at the hearing, even through the questioning process. But you can give them that statement and say, would you please read your statement of what you said at the time of the infraction? And then that becomes evidence that the hearing officer can use to move beyond preponderance of evidence to find the student in violation of uh, that infraction, whatever you're bringing them to. Uh, the second one is, really, in your charge letter, don't don't go to overkill. It, I mean, I'll, I'll look at charge letters, and there'll be like five or six different charges that they'll bring, and some are what I call ticky-tack uh, charges. When you do your charge letter or you're, you're making a, a, these charges, pick the pick the ones that, that, that are really why they came to the hearing. So you may have some, I don't know how every school is a little different, uh, but in Gwinnett, if you had a level three, that was what you when you take them to a hearing. But I would have... We would see sometimes where, you know, here that we'd have assistant principals and principals would put in their charge letter level twos. Those are school-level offenses that you typically would do the thing at the school. So don't include those. Just put the, those, those ones that are bringing the, the reason why you bring them to the hearing. So if a student, for example, brought, um, I don't know, let's say they brought a, a, a large amount of marijuana to school. I'll just give that example then, you know, make sure that that's in there, but don't add in they were AWOL and all this other stuff because, again, the AWOL is not what's going to bring them to a hearing. What's going to bring them to a hearing is them bringing drugs, and that's what, that's what you need to focus on. That doesn't mean you can't talk about that in your conversation and your questioning, but, again, what's on that charge letter, the hearing officer is going to be looking for the evidence to find that student in violation or not in violation of that rule. So don't over all these charges in and I know a lot of times they'll do that because they want a harsher consequence but in the conversation with the hearing officer you have a chance to actually say you know make a closing statement you can propose what you want based on other factors but again the first phase of a hearing is you're trying to prove that you've got beyond preponderance of evidence that the students uh, violated that infraction whatever it is so there's there's two big ones that I've seen quite often is they don't that that assistant principals or whoever's presenting the hearing do not bring enough evidence, particularly when it comes to statements, because they're relying on their witnesses uh, to say what they need to say. Don't do that. And the other one is again, you know, make sure you don't put too much in that charge. That what do you want to prove that's going to you know again get to a preponderance evidence based on why you brought them to the hearing. Don't bring those little ticky tack, um, what I call ticky tack um, charges, because again they're lower level. Okay. What about uh, ending up in a tribunal where there's an attorney present? Um, now, I've been in several different districts, and, and we've yeah. kind of seen it done different ways, but it, uh, is there any, you know, advice or, you know, anecdotal-type information that you can give us about some of your experience either as a principal with, a, with attorneys present or as a hearing officer with attorneys present? Uh, how does that affect... Uh, the overall tribunal process? Well, from a hearing officer perspective, I liked it when lawyers were there um, because everything, if you, you know, the defendants of the student and even the, well, the student will speak for themselves, but the, 
the the lawyer speaks for the family. So if parents had to speak through the lawyer, the lawyer could actually kind of uh, uh, contain some of the comments. And so I, I didn't mind that. And I also liked it, you know, and usually if the defendant brings uh, a lawyer, then obviously the school system typically has a lawyer with them, which to me actually makes it easier because you have someone to run things through and they're there to kind of help you um, in, in the conversation. So, um, you know, some hearing officers don't like it because it, they kind of get flustered. Me personally, I, I liked it because to me it was even more uh, of a rigid process when we had the, the lawyers there. Um, but I would tell anybody who's presenting, again, if you have your evidence uh, and you have your statements, uh, it, it, there's, you don't need anything to worry. Remember, a lawyer functions in a world is beyond reasonable doubt. Okay, you have to have a, they have a much higher standard for proof. In the school world, we are proponents of evidence. That's 50.1. So I tell them, don't stress out about it. If you have your evidence, again, you just got to get to 50.1 or 51 percent for the infraction to be uh, verified. Um, so that's what I tell them. Just just be calm. Uh, present your evidence. Don't get flustered. Uh, you know, prep your witnesses, you know, and you can, you know, what I mean by that is, you know, go ahead and have your questions written out. Let them know. I actually would bring in, if I was going to, if I knew I was going to have a lawyer, or even not with a lawyer, if I was going to have a teacher witness, I'd actually bring them into my office prior to the hearing, and I would ask them those questions and prep them on, say, okay, that's good, you know, but you forgot to mention this based on what your statement said. And so you can talk them through what their comments should be. Uh, you're not you're not you tell them what to say. You're just trying to help them through their conversation, so it's clear to the hearing officer what it is uh, they're trying to present. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Let's go into our last topic here, which involves aspiring leaders. And again, um, one of the main reasons that you're asked to speak on this topic is that um, you've got a, a unique story about uh, how you got into leadership. Um, and you've done it on several different levels. So, you know, you've got an assistant principal either there at your school or maybe at another school who's, who's kind of sought out your advice on, um, you know, making the move to principal. What kind of advice would you give an assistant principal who was considering moving or wanting to move up to the principal's office? I would tell them don't be afraid of it getting uncomfortable. Uh, what I've seen, uh, I see that I saw it in Gwinnett, I saw it in Bibb, um, is that Many times, assistant principals get locked into their silos, so to speak. So they're really good at discipline. That's all they've ever done. Well, you and I know as principals, you have to know how to do everything in the building. You need to know about testing. You need to know about instruction. You need to be understand discipline. You need to understand operations. You need to understand bookkeeping. It's because you are the CEO of the entire building. So my advice to all assistant principals is if you want to, if you really have the desire to be a principal, then you need to ask your principal to allow you to have different experiences inside the building, to lead different areas. Um, I know that, you know, when I was in Bibb, my two assistant principals, every, uh, every two years or even almost every year, I would switch up their duties and responsibilities so it forced them to learn something different. Uh, and both of them actually became principals. Uh, and when I talked to... Um, to, well, I was talking to one just recently, and they were talking about just those experiences helped them be a better principal because they had it as an assistant principal, and they had someone to guide them, which was me, the principal. So if you're an assistant principal, I would tell you, if you want to be a principal, you need to take on some other responsibilities beyond. Again, if you're, if you're pigeonholed just in instruction, you've never had to deal with discipline, that you need to cross over, talk to your assistant, your, your principal about how you can get involved in those things. 
because when I when I was in Div, I used to have to. I was the first line of interviews for assistant principals to become principals, and it was amazing. I would always listen, and I would tell, I would hear assistant principals say two things. One would say, "Here's what I would do," and then I'd hear some say, "Here's what I have done." And I want you to be able to say when they ask you those questions, the interviews, "Here's what I have done," because you've had those experiences uh, before you get into the principalship, and that's I can't tell you how important that is. Um, you can read all you want, all, and you can you can you can listen all you want, but it's what you've done and the results you've gotten from what you've done. So that would be my encouragement to any assistant principal: is have different experiences. Your principal, I'm sure, will allow you to take on more because uh, it helps them. But in, that's what I'm looking for: is who has gone and tried to have different experiences. I also would this was a hard one, but I would tell uh, assistant principals: don't just work for one leader as an assistant principal. Work for multiple leaders. Uh, every principal works a little bit different. They all have strengths that they can add to the table. Uh, I've been very fortunate. I worked with Dr. Holland for 15 years, and I learned a lot of things from him. But I will tell you, I also worked as when I was there with Wanda Law. So you know, she is uh, you know was a, a middle school principal of the year. She's I worked with her. She's at North Gwinnett. I worked with Eddie Moretz, who was a principal. I worked with Yvette Arthur, who's principal at Lilburn Middle School. I worked with. I can just go on and on. And then when I went to Bibb. Again, worked with Dr. Jones, who had been a former high school principal. I worked with uh, Keith Simmons, who had been a high school principal at Griffin. And, and so I just would tell assistant principals, you need to be around other people who have been successful so you can kind of learn from them, but also go out and try to take on additional experiences so that you have those, so that you can apply those when you become a principal. Because I really don't care how many experience you have as assistant principal, it's hard to really prepare you for the weight of the principalship, but it will give you some uh, background uh, when you do become a principal. Sure. Um, also, when we talk about aspiring leaders, can you kind of talk about the importance of um, being involved in, in, a, in a state association like maybe um, Georgia Association of Educational, Educational Leaders like Gale or GASSP or even your middle school or elementary uh, school affiliates? Um, do you place value on that, or do you think that's important for aspiring leaders? Absolutely. And, again, go back to, you know, it's like I tell people, say, I'm a lot smarter when other people walk in the room. It's the same thing. Like, I know I can pick up the phone and call Jim Finch if I need to at Mary Persons High School because he's been a high school principal. Or I could call, you know, other high school principals uh, who are in part of our association and say, hey, hey, how have you handled this, or how have you dealt with this? When, when you are not part of the association, sometimes you can be on an island and you're, you're missing those opportunities to network and connect. Um, you know, you may find yourself that you're having a problem in, like you asked me the question about, uh, uh, you know, are you having a problem keeping new teachers? You know, you could probably, you could see where there's a school who are in your, in your organization who, you know, this principal is really able to keep their new teachers. You could call them up and say, hey, what do you do? How are you helping uh, keep your new teachers? Because I'm struggling with that. If you're not part of an organization like that, you don't necessarily have those kind of conversations. And, you know, when you talk about GSSP or NASSP, I mean, these are statewide national organizations, so it's, it's not just your community. You have a network of people beyond that, much larger, that you can connect with uh, to help you be a better principal. And also they have a chance that you can influence people beyond your circle as well. Uh, about good, great experiences that you've had as a principal and maybe some knowledge that you have. Okay, well, we're getting to the end of our time here today on, on uh, today's uh, podcast. So once again, 
I'd like to thank all of our listeners for listening to episode four of our first season here on the Georgia High School Principals podcast, which is a podcast by high school principals for high school principals and for all educators in Georgia. I'm your host, Jim Finch, and I want to thank Mr. Lindsey Allen. He is the principal of Buford High School, and he was today's guest for episode four. Please feel free to share this podcast on any and all platforms of social media, and we look forward to recording some future podcasts with other principals in our great state. So, Mr. Allen, we really want to thank you for coming on today and uh, providing information and insight to all of our existing principals in the state, and even to some aspiring leaders or other educators that are interested in our craft. So, thank you for coming aboard. And. All right. Well, we sure did appreciate our time together. And so for all our listeners for now, we are signing off. Thanks for listening.